Hello, and welcome to the first episode of Speaker Sessions. I don't know how good I am with editing, so maybe that's gonna pop up on screen, maybe it's not. What's up everybody? I am very, very excited to introduce a new series that we're starting on this channel in 2020, something that I'm super excited for, which is called Speaker Sessions. And basically it's me consulting with speakers that I'm working with, whether it's uh, giving a keynote presentation or they're preparing to give a TED talk or they're preparing a speech for some type of event, helping them through the creation and delivery process of their content for their specific event. I'm really excited about this because it's really giving me a chance to showcase some of the, I guess, skills that I have at, at really helping people develop their content. It's something that I've been super passionate for for the past couple of years and I now I've really tried to figure out how to materialize that into consumable content for everybody um, and in a way that I think actually provides value to a lot of the people that I work with. So speaker sessions is something I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life, which is basically me consulting other speakers and we're going to walk through the inception of their idea, through the rough draft, through all the different uh, changes we're going to make in, in, in strategy and, and delivery and content and construction of narratives and storytelling and all of that fun stuff. So the goal is if you're giving a speech for any event coming up, if you're trying to figure out how to tell your story, tell a narrative in some capacity, hopefully there's a wide variety of speaker sessions that we do that can tailor towards helping you ultimately develop the content that you want to deliver. I'm really excited for this one. And this episode is with my man, Jordan Gross. Jordan Gross was um, awesome enough to agree to be on speaker sessions. He is giving a TED talk at the TEDx Bergen Community College, which is in the New York, New Jersey area in around March, 2020. Um, so hopefully after you guys watch this and, and his TED talk is online, please go watch that, his TEDx talk. It's, it's good. It should be an amazing talk. We worked through a lot of different ideas in this, in this speaker session and basically we, went over how to create a problem within the context of the content you're trying to deliver that is so large and so real that the solution becomes inevitable for the audience to grab onto because the solution to that problem is necessary for the problem that's being described, which means you really got to emphasize the problem. So in this speech, I think the key thing would be breaking down. How do we set up that problem? How do we psychologically think of the problem? How do we not fall into the same traps of the problem that we're creating to really get a product um, that can be consumed by a wide amount of audiences? He's really trying to go viral on TEDx. So Hopefully we, uh, hopefully the speaker session helped him. I hope you guys enjoy. There'll be a lot more speaker sessions in the future, especially in 2020. And yeah, enjoy the session. Peace. Nice, yeah. Definitely looking for like memorability, virality components. Like, yeah. It's gonna make it stick. Yeah. Um, okay, so I think you know already, or maybe not, but so the talk is, I wanna type SEO purposes, right? I'm trying to think a little bit more intentionally about this one the last time. What do you think people would search, right? Because it's, it's about- So what is the concept of the speech? Oh yeah, so my, you're a, going it's, a, it's about, um, it's basically about why is self-help not helping me? Why is self-help not helping so me? I, okay. I think like if people, I recently read an article and I also heard Ariana Huffington say this, where when you type in like why am I not, or why am I so mm -hmm. on Google? The first things that come up is like, why am I so tired? Why am I so anxious? Depressed. Why am I so this right? Yeah, yeah. Depressed. So I was thinking like, I want to talk about self help, obviously, but I'm I'm not advocating for the traditional self help. So what can still be popular, even though it's sort of like a revolutionary thought? Do I think people are writing why is self help not helping me? Yeah, I mean, I think actually, I think that's yeah. perfect. I think the like one of the best TED talks I've seen was like a like a ironic take on TED talks, and I think yeah. the title was like "Why TED Talks Are Not Funny" or something yeah, like that. Yeah, but yeah. they used wordplay to try to contradict the notion of self help. Yeah. The, ultimately, this is a self help talk, yes. but it's criticizing traditional narratives of self help that are mainstream in mm -hmm. culture right now, and you're trying to go against grain. Yeah, I think that's perfect. Why is self help not why helping? Why is self help me? no longer helping me, or why is self help not? I like the second one. Why is self-help not helping me? No longer. I don't think people would search that as much. Ready? Yep. I want you guys to meet my friend Jerry. A couple of years ago, Jerry was purposeless. He had no idea what he wanted to do with his career. He had no idea what he wanted from his social life. He had no idea why he even got out of bed every morning. Jerry was going through the motions, running on the hamster wheel, completely unaware of the life that he could be living. 
who is a 23-year-old with unlimited potential, amazing resources, and a tremendous opportunity to make a difference in the world. But he had no clue of all this at the time. He was ready to give up, be a realist, and do what 99% of the rest of the world does and continue to run on that hamster wheel. Well, luckily enough, Jerry happened to have a pet hamster. And luckily enough, this hamster did not like to run on his tiny hamster wheel. This little white and brown ball of fur would run all over Jerry's room. He'd hide in his closet. He'd sneak inside of his pillows. He'd scurry around on his desk. He would basically go everywhere in Jerry's room except for on his teeny, tiny hamster wheel. One day when Jerry got home from his normal job at the same normal hour as always, he plopped himself on his normal bed and looked around for his little hamster. He wasn't in the closet, he wasn't in his pillows, and he wasn't on his desk. Today, Jerry's hamster had made his way onto Jerry's bookshelf, and he was perched on top of a book, standing up on his hind legs. Jerry picked up his hamster with his right hand and grabbed the book underneath with his left. Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. He had received it as a gift when he left one of his internships a few years ago, but he'd never read it. Over the next three hours, Jerry read every single word. He was glued to the advice, reinvigorated by the positivity and meaning this book brought to his life. For the next few months, Jerry focused on the principles in the book, tried them out at work and in life, and he discovered a new version of himself that he really liked being around. And when the flare of this book wore off, he looked for other self-help books. He read four-hour work weeks, start with why, rich dad, poor dad. He listened to podcasts, audiobooks, you name something in personal development, Jerry had probably consumed it. Fast forward two years, and Jerry is now 25, facing a similar crisis he did when he was a 23-year-old. But why? He had read all the self-help he could get his hands on. He knew exactly what the experts said he should be doing, but it was too much. This expert said he should care about every single decision he makes, and the next expert said he shouldn't care about anything. One book told him to get started living the life of his dreams right now, and the next book told him to be patient and methodical. He heard a podcast host in one episode talk about the power of habits and routine, and then in the next episode, that same host talked about living freely and following his intuition. Jerry was going down a rabbit hole of personal development doom, and he once again had no idea what path he was to take. Why is self-help not helping, Jerry thought. Well, luckily for Jerry, he did not have a rabbit. He had a hamster. And one day when he returned home, Jerry looked for his little hamster, and he was not in his closet, and he was not sneaking around in his pillows, and he was not on his desk. Jerry's hamster was perched on top of another book. Jerry grabbed his little pal and looked at the book underneath. Paolo Coelho's The Alchemist. He had meant to read it a while back, but it didn't really fit in with all of these expert research-backed approaches he was used to. For the next few hours, Jerry read, and he read, and he read some more. He was captivated by the plot. He could see himself in the characters. He was emotionally invested. He escaped his current reality of being stuck, and he imagined what his life would look like if he were the protagonist in the book. And just like that, Jerry had a newfound way of living, a new type of book to read, a newfound appreciation for stories, allegories, and parables that allowed him to feel advice and interpret for himself, as opposed to being told advice and being expected to immediately implement and improve. This is how we maintain our growth. This is how we do not get stuck in the personal development rabbit hole. This is how we overcome information overload, contradictory opinions, and advice that may not necessarily be directed toward the kind of person we truly are. We realize and understand key insights about ourselves by using stories to envelop our minds. By reading books like Robin Sharma's 5AM Club, Dan Millman's The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, Bob Berg and John David Mann's The Go-Giver, any Mitch Albom book, and The Journey to Cloud Nine by yours truly, and yes, that is a very shameless plug, we can discover new insights about ourselves that we would never gain from simply and robotically consuming traditional self-help advice and expecting it to work wonders. I've had the chance to talk to some of these amazing authors and storytellers, specifically Dan Millman, Bopper, John David Mann, and I've found four main characteristics that really set allegories and parables apart from the rest of the personal development world. One, it's about the journey, not the destination. Crafting a story allows the reader to focus on the entire book as opposed to just the pieces of advice that are highlighted. By emphasizing the journey, the reader is more focused, more present, 
and this adds to their ability to make realizations about their own lives. Two, there is a stronger emotional investment and connection. The reader gets to feel the advice, not just be told the advice. They get to resonate with the characters, share experiences, and because of this, they are more inclined to either seek to feel how the characters do, or stay away from how the characters and story make them feel. Three, stories reduce the stress. Self-help books are stressful. They are basically saying that if we do not follow this advice, we will not succeed. By discovering the advice for ourselves in a fictional piece, we take that pressure off and we make things a little less serious. Four, we are encouraged to use our imaginativitation. Now, what in the world is imaginativitation? Well, it is the answer to all your worries. It is a four-step approach to understanding personal development that will reinvent the way you think about advice and your life. It stands for imagination plus creativity plus interpretation plus implementation. Imagination. You must first imagine the dream life you wish to live. Creativity. You must then creatively work backwards, starting from that dream life and figuring out the steps you need to take in your life to get there. Interpretation. This is your why. Why is this the life you want to live? Why are these the actions you are going to take? And finally, implementation. Now that you understand how the advice is most suitable for your life, start to put your plan to the test. So, after reading The Alchemist, Gary used his imaginativitation to create the life of his dreams. He dreamt of a world in which he gets to impact millions of people. He creatively worked backwards, realizing he would need to give talks, go on podcasts, and write books in order to make such an impact. He interpreted why he wanted to do this, because ever since he was a little kid, he had a soft spot for the human condition, and he has been trying to make somebody else's day just a little bit better every day since. And last but not least, he is currently in the midst of implementing his plan as he stands up here giving a TEDx talk to all of you. Yes, I may be Jerry, but this story about Jerry is not totally true. I don't have a magical little hamster with wonderful taste in literature. And quite honestly, in my small room in New York City, I don't even have enough space for a bookshelf. But I was living a life in which I was going through the motions, not living up to my full potential. I hopped off the hamster wheel when I discovered self-help. I hopped back on when I discovered that there were too many people telling me too many different ways to live my life. And I hopped off again when I started making my own revelations by reading parables and allegories. Although this story was not totally true, I shared it the way I did for a very particular reason. I told it this way because I want you to enjoy the journey of this talk, not the destination, much like I want you to do with your life. I told it this way because I wanted you to make an emotional connection to the characters. I told it this way to be playful, because I wanted to reduce the stress and make you realize not to take everything so seriously. And I told it this way in order to share a bit of my imaginativitation and begin to get you to use yours a little more as well. When I finish this talk, I don't want you to remember me or the hamster I do not have, but rather, I want you to remember Jerry. The journey, the emotional connection, the reduced stress, and the imaginativitation. J E. R-I. The next time you feel stuck or you feel like self-help is not helping, think about my friend Jerry and his little hamster who never wanted to run on his teeny tiny hamster wheel. Thank you. Okay, cool. Um, so that was about 9.30. Cool, so just where you needed it. All right, uh, a couple things. I'm going to go over good things that I liked and things that um, were a little confusing, didn't like too okay. much. So good things. One, I think the idea of this talk is a good idea. Um, criticize it. So what you're doing right now is you're creating um, an individual versus collective dynamic when it comes to public speaking. And what a lot of speakers try to do in this scenario is they try to create this narrative of something they're going against. Um, Michelle Walker did this in a really good TED talk when she said she predicted the 2008 financial crisis, but all these bankers couldn't do it. So she was placing herself as the authoritative figure of someone who knew this was going to happen, and then that gave her a little bit more credibility and authority because she was the one who stood out. Now, obviously, when you're one against a million, people tend to side with one. It's the underdog story. It's like the rags to riches yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So you've, you've created a narrative in this talk about an industry, about a... 
uh, institution, about a culture of something that is not promising on its delivery, which you position yourself as the savior, essentially, right? To be someone who can, who can fix that or offer an idea of clarity. I think that's a good idea. Um, I think we need to get a little bit more specific on exactly what you're solving. Um, and I think we have some ideas here. Um, but I think that needs to be a little bit more clear. And, and then I think the, the overall tension, which is where you're going to get a lot of the backlash on the speech, is why don't you fall into the same traps that all those other people fall into? And that's something I think we have to use a strong refutation tactic in the speech subliminally to make sure people don't associate you with that, which means you have to address those concerns in the speech and delegitimize them right away, which means we're going to have to rework a couple of these things. Um, so that's the overall good thing I like. Um, the hamster story at the top um, and then using that as like a frame to get into the meat of your speech, I think that's okay. Um, I think that the story needs to be a little bit more entertaining or a little bit more exciting. Um, you're definitely reading this verbatim on, off your laptop right now. So like I think maybe there has to be a little bit more impromptu or just like something funny at the beginning um, that gets people to care about this ham- hamster lifestyle. Like, so when you say he was perched on top of a book, there, there has to be something more than just describing like that visual scenario and right. then there's Dale Carnegie under that and then obviously you read the book. Like something maybe more we can work into it at the beginning. Yeah. Um, then you get to the problem, constant pursuit of self-help books, uh, listen to what the experts are saying, and you get to the sort of the climax moments, like why is self-help not helping? That's the question you ask, and then you get into everything else. Um, Two things I think we need to rework that I don't like, and then we're going to move on. Uh, I think you're using too much of the steps stuff. So, like, the, the, first, the first part is, like, you say uh, the thesis, and then you have to have an emotional investment, and then stories reduce the stress, and then imaginativitation. Right. And then you do another four-step explaining imaginativitation. Right. I think you're going to lose some of the audience there okay. um, because there's, like, just a ton of numeric things that they have to deal with um, in order to get to the end goal. And yeah. it's, it, it's not providing a story narrative that people can catch on to. Which is what I thought originally this hamster thing was going to eventually turn into, but you used it as like a, a, a bridge to get into the meat of your talk, right. which is good. It's just a question of just like, what exactly is the meat of the talk going to yeah. be doing? Um, final thing I didn't like is at the end, uh, you say, I told it this way because I want you to make an emotional connection. When I finish, I don't want you to remember. I want you to remember this. I think we should scrap that. Okay. Um, so when you're telling the audience what you want them to get out of the talk, I think sometimes it... I don't know, it, it, it makes it a little weird because it should be implicit, like why you told it this way, why you told an entire narrative around a, a parable versus like um, focusing on the destination versus right. the journey. Like that should be pretty obvious. So I think that's stuff we can get rid of as well. And then the ending, I think like if you ever feel bad, think about Jerry who never wanted to run on his tiny wheel. I think we have to do it a little differently. I think we have to leave them with something else to remember that is a little bit more uh, conclusive with the hook about the story versus just, if you ever feel this way, remember this thing. Um, and that's what I think we gotta come up with. So let's, okay. let's, let's deal with this one by one. Yeah, I, think, I, I think the first thing, um, yeah. why, and this is, just, this is not me attacking, this is like literally playing devil's advocate to get more stuff yeah, out of you. Yeah. Why do you think your approach is different than the current self-help industry approach? Why is personal development through parable different than yes. self-help? Yeah. Like, why is imaginativitation not preached in, in, the, in, the, in the, what do you call it, the four-hour work week or rich dad, poor dad? I'm yeah. sure all of them would agree with imagine, create, execute, implement, right? right? Okay, yeah. Um, so my take is that traditional self-help is written for somebody who, I'll, I'll give a, a metaphor based mm-hmm. on my book, right? Yep. Traditional self-help, my book is about a, like a plane ride, right? Mm-hmm is for somebody who does not know how to pilot their own plane. Yes. And when Tim Ferriss is writing The 4-Hour Work Week, he is saying, I am your pilot, and you should follow me because I am a pilot and I know how to fly a plane, and you don't know how to fly a plane. Okay. What I'm saying with imaginativitation and with fictional personal development mm-hmm. is that I am a co-pilot as opposed to a pilot, you have everything it takes to become a pilot and take control of the plane. Now it's just up to you to interpret my advice as a co-pilot and then fly the plane in whatever direction you want. Why isn't that the same as for, why would Tim Ferriss not just be the co-pilot giving his advice and you taking that advice? Because, because what I believe is that Tim Ferriss is treating each individual uniformly. 
as opposed to each individual has their own sets of problems and reasons why they are not where they're supposed to be. Why? And they have to interpret that for themselves, right? Because if, if you and I are reading for our work week, yeah, and we have totally different backgrounds and experiences, right? Tim Ferriss is giving us both the same set of advice, but maybe we don't have the resources to follow Tim Ferriss' advice. Why would the parable not be one story uniformly attached to old people? Like, how does the, the par- you're not going to have different versions right. of the parable, right? Right, because parables introduce different varieties to the story. They introduce different characters. They introduce different emotions, right? And the parable is never saying, here is what you have to do. It's saying, here's a description right. of what happens right. when you do what is shown in the story or right. when you don't do what is shown in the story, right? Okay, so, so, so I think that's the key point that we have to emphasize. Okay. So okay. parables show, through storytelling... Um, a framework for people to interpret the idea. So it's, it's a question of just like, if, 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 if I give a story of like, Jack and Jill went up the hill, I'm not saying you have to do this. I'm letting the reader interpret Jack and Jill went up the hill. What does right. that mean? The, the backlash is going to be, well, Tim Ferriss, all these other people, they're not saying you have to do a four-hour work week. They're saying this is what has worked. This is something you could try out. I think your differentiator is like, the problem is, it doesn't have enough creativity to unleash multiple perspectives. Yes, but I think there's more. Okay. To piggyback on your first point with Jack and Jill, I think storytelling is as age-old as it can possibly be, just like you said on the bus, right? Yeah. I think we tell children's stories because you can't just say, sit in your seat and be quiet while we're at dinner. No, we want to tell them a story about a bad child who was at dinner and spoke up, and they were like banished from dinner forever, right? Right. We want to show children what can happen if they don't behave and follow, you know, personal development advice, right? As opposed to just telling them, because nobody right. wants to be told what to do. Because so there's, there's no sense of independence. So there's the divide. Instead of That's telling, right? Yeah. So so, so with with parable, you're not being told what to do ever. You get to interpret for right. yourself that a part of imaginative imagination. Right. right. Um, that's huge. And the second thing I was going to say is that, like I'm saying in here, there's nothing wrong with traditional personal development. Like, I used it when I first got started, right? Right. It's almost like when you become a self-help junkie or yeah. over-consume or just start thinking that the more you read, the better it'll be. There's a part in there where I talk about contradictions, right? So Tim Ferriss is telling you to do a four-hour work week, but David Goggins is telling you to lose sleep because you want to work so fucking hard. Right. Right? So there are right. paradoxes in, in fully immersing yourself in self-help that are going to get you into trouble and lead you down the rabbit hole that I don't want to lead you down, which is why you, know, you escape the rabbit hole by thinking about the hamster. Perfect. Okay. So th- I think those are the two main things. I think one, storytelling provides interpretation. It does not give the advice per se. Uh, and two, the paradox. I really like that point. Maybe I missed it during the speech, but I-, I think that example makes a lot of sense about one person says work four hours, one person says, right. you know, never sleep. Right. That I think is super, super important. I think, and I, I think we just need to separate the speech into three parts, intro, problem, solution. Uh-huh. And the problem, I think, needs to be exactly what you said right here, this paradox between David and Tim. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think it needs to be a question of just, like, how can we, like, expand more content around this problem to make the audience feel like there is a problem? Because I guess the biggest takeaway from when I heard the speech, outside of, like, thinking you fall into the same trap, is, like, what exactly is the problem with current self-help? Right. Um, and because I think there's so much stuff here with, like, eight different steps, I'm missing there's a fundamental issue right. going on. Go away. Yeah. So I think like the first minute of the hamster thing we'll keep for a second. Mm-hmm. I think we should spend two minutes on this problem, okay. this David Tim Ferris problem. And I think this is where you can get super emotional and passionate and like the delivery of your voice can be like, I don't know if you're allowed to curse at these things, but just like, you're not. You're not? Yeah. That's stupid. Um, yeah. Like I'll curse right now. It's like, yeah. why the fuck is one person telling me to do this? The other person's telling me to do this. Both of them are qualified. Both of them are successful. Both of them have millions of dollars. Who do I listen to? 
And the whole goal of this self-help journey is supposed to be me personally developing myself through my finding myself. But if I'm going to trust all these people to find myself, I'm never going to find myself. I'm going to be tr- uh, it, uh, closed within the trap of people trying to help me to find well, myself. That's beautifully said because that's that's the main takeaway. Exactly. That you're using the co-pilots to find yourself. To find yourself. But the ultimate discovery has to be from, has to be from you. you right? right. And that's why the fictional is going to give you the satisfaction that right. nobody told me what I need to do differently differently in my life. I, I came, use this story to figure out for myself what I need to do. I think that's really powerful. I think we need to think of other, so I think two things. we need to think of yeah. some examples uh, that highlight the problem more. Mm-hmm. So we should do that first. And then secondarily, we should think of so the solutions you just talked about, like uh, other stories outside of The Alchemist right. where people have come to these conclusions, like really basic shit, like yeah. the fucking Christmas Carol right. when the fucking, the, the, the guy was visited by three ghosts and yeah. then after the third ghost, he's like, I'm giving all my money away. Yeah. Like, like it, it, we didn't need anyone to say, give your money away, be nice to yeah. the poor. He just saw all the regret he's had for 40 years because he, he didn't take care of his wife, he didn't take care of his business partners right. and now he has all this cash but he's so right. unhappy. Um, and I think we need to explain those stories. Okay, so I think, I think all three of those are good juxtapositions. Now it's just a question of impacting them. So, um, yeah. So this is, so for example, when you say um, one says to follow, one says to follow the power of habits versus saying the, the, to, to the power to live freely. Uh, this is where I would make some example or some yeah. story um, to sort of illustrate this, probably from your own personal experience, yeah. um, which would be really good. So it's a question of just like one day you decided to do this on a routine. The next day you decided I should stop doing this on a routine. I should do this. And then this limbo of the routine that was working goes away and then this living freely thing starts working. But then you realize you do want a routine. You recognize there has to be a 50-50 mix here for it to mean something, yeah. which means you delegitimize your trust in the, the person who gave you the advice, which is why self-help doesn't work for you. And then I would do the same thing for the other two examples as well. So the start of like, I want you guys to meet my friend Jerry, Mm -hmm. and then like, it's kind of like you're narrating uh, a story of Jerry Mm -hmm. versus explaining living in Jerry's footsteps Um, to some extent. Now, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world, but for me, when you're narrating a story and you're you're saying like, I want you to meet Jerry, this is Jerry's life, this is Jerry's problem, it's a little less engaging versus being the character and explaining, like, in that situation right. what, Here, what so the existential pro- problem is. Here was my actual thought. Like, right. If I could get a uh, first slide, right? Yeah. Would be a picture of, like, a figure. Right. And it would be Jerry. So it would be a little bit more playful. Yeah. And it would be like, this is Jerry. And then, you know, I click the slide or something and have Jerry wave. Like, wave to the audience, Jerry. Okay. Right? And then it, it just sort of invites the audience to get to know Jerry a little bit. Uh, okay, 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 okay. As opposed to saying, I want you to be my friend Jerry. Right. And then just looking, right? So, may, I, I don't know how to do this shit, but if there was, like, some animation that I could put into this. Right. Which you definitely could. the slides help with the presentation. Yeah. Even if it's just a little tiny bit. Absolutely. I think yeah. that could be really cool if it's, you know, because then I get to show a little bit more personality and instead of saying seriously, like, I want you to think about my friend Jerry. Right. Say, this is Jerry. Like, say what to the audience, Jerry. And then he waves. Right. And I'll say. Yeah, and that's totally possible on PowerPoints and visual aids yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, and I, that sounds a little bit more interactive to me because just at the beginning, whenever, whenever, and it's not just you, I mean, like, whenever someone starts off stuff like that, it's like, it's like you're waiting to get to what is actually going to start in the speech or what is going to happen. And then you introduce the pet hamster, and it's like, but luckily enough, Jerry, it seems like I'm literally reading a book, right? Yeah. Uh, and for yeah. speeches, that's a little bit harder for, right. for me to, to be super engaged in. Yeah. I'm trying to think where, where can we get something more funny out of the beginning? Because I feel like this is so lighthearted. It should yeah, be exactly. a little bit uh, more humorous. Instead of saying he had no idea what he wants to do with his career, no idea what he wants to do with his social life, I would maybe illustrate that. Like, Jerry would, like, research job, or Jerry uh, went to job interviews. He got some jobs he wanted, but then he would go all night, and then he would be drinking. And then he would still not get out of bed every morning, something like that. I'm trying to think, like, is there a way to illustrate, outside of saying he did not want to know what he wanted to do with his career or social life, explain certain scenarios of... Show not tell. Yeah, show not tell those scenarios, and how can we make those a little bit more humorous? Um, especially if the audience is a little bit more mature. I think we want to explain what that 99% necessarily is. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So whether that's the corporate route or whether that's like getting a job and right. uh, creating sustainability and then uh, and, uh, or stability, not sustainability, and then uh, looking forward to the weekends as the basis for your happiness or looking forward to like family gatherings forever. And I think I think here what we have to describe is a lack of purpose was was. Uh, was 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 crying out. Jerry was crying out for purpose in his life and he was on the path to not achieving that purpose by doing what 99% of the world does which is find some type of way to 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 not find purpose because everyone in the world wants to find purpose but everyone in the world is also not willing to put in the amount of effort it takes to actually make purpose for themselves which is why they let other people dictate what their purpose should be whether that's a job religion whatever it may be um, and that's where Jerry gets a, a problem. I like the hamster thing, though. Like, I, I think the hamster thing makes a lot of sense, especially because the hamster wheel. The, yeah, the, that, that means emotions. Right. I think that's a, a, a good uh, metaphor to mm -hmm. be able to, an analogy, to yeah. be able to make these types of things um, make sense at that point. I think, I, I, think, I think we have to make a choice. I think, are we going for what we want the audience to feel what imaginativitation is, or do we want them to feel what Jerry is? I think imagativitation is not the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. I think it's definitely Jerry. Yeah. Um, and particularly because I believe imagine, create, interpret, implement, like that not only seems like more conventional self-help advice, yeah. but that, that, that is an obvious conclusion of J-E-R-I, right. which is that you imagine, you create, you interpret, and then you, I mean, interpretation is literally built into yeah. the Jerry structure, right? That, that, that is right. the core thesis that we are able to interpret things and then have our own perspective impl implementation. Yeah. Um, so I think like the, the problem is then you say we are encouraged to use our imaginativitation and then you create another problem in the speech, which is what in the world is imaginativitation. Right, so now right. it takes me down another journey right. of like this I, is something I else totally I'm trying to solve. Agree. And I, yeah, I was thinking that when I first wrote it. Is the, is it too much to just introduce imaginativitation? And also, imaginativitation is like that's like my coaching platform. Right. I use imaginativitation to help people uncover like meaning and purpose, right? Right. So I, I, there is some selfish reasoning for why imaginativitation is in there. Makes sense. It's also going to be like a word that I trademark, right? Like that's going to be my process. All right. But I was very wary of the fact that I don't even give it enough time, right? I just say, and imaginativitation. Yeah. And here's what imaginativitation is. It's the answer to all your problems, but then it's like, if it's the answer to all the problems, why is that not what the whole speech exactly, is? Exactly, exactly. Right? So I can see I'm that like, dichotomy. Yeah. Yeah, so I think we just change it to imagination. For now. We're encouraged to use our imagination. Right. And then I don't even have to have any the explanation. of this stuff um, from what in the world down to so. Right. Like I can just go into this so after reading The Alchemist and using, you know, after reading The Alchemist, not even using his. Imaginativitation, you know, I don't, I don't have to say any of that. Yeah, and that will get you to eight minutes as well. He dreamt of a world which he has an Are you planning to memorize this verbatim? Um, or is that how you usually do your speeches? So, when I did the first TED Talk, I thought that the best talks I had seen were probably memorized. Right. With a little bit of... Impromptus. Room for, yeah, impromptus and just probably doing it a shit ton of times so they get like the perfect delivery, which yeah. is what I'm gonna do. Um, when I give talks, I don't memorize. Yeah. But I think for a TED Talk where you get like one chance, and I, I'd love to get your perspective on this, where you get like one chance and I have a, over a month to really hone this thing, I think memorizing could be the way to go. So I don't think you need to memorize it. I think you need to have memor I think you need to memorize the concepts of the speech, mm -hmm. but you don't need to memorize literally word for word right. what a speech is. Um, now the word for word shit is super helpful because I've, I've given a, a TEDx tryout speech before and it, it like it, it definitely because you're under all this pressure you have this idea yeah. and you know that you want to get through the narrative and you have specific things you want to say I think though it's like a lot of arbitrary pressure of like saying I want you guys to meet Jerry versus right. here's Jerry That's right. like like obviously they both mean the exact same thing That's right. um, so I think if you memorize story one bridge transition, climax, problem, yeah. this, and you have like key oh, things okay. in your mind that trigger those things, yeah, okay. then the rest of it is just filler. And then it becomes so much more natural because it's impromptu. And you're, and you're like, instead of saying Jerry was purpose, like Jerry didn't have a purpose. Jerry didn't know what he wanted to do with his life versus right. Jerry was purposeless. Right. He did not know what he right. wanted to do with his yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
this, you know, this first draft is like I, I was writing a book. Right. An article. Exactly. That's like, kind of how it seems like it's constructed. Yeah. It's not even an outline. It's more so just like yeah, yeah, my exactly. script to an extent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, what do they really get from implementing Jerry? Which I think, again, it just means we really need to make sure this problem is legitimate. There's one, this is a good quote about innovation. It's like people can't innovate if they focus too much on the solution and not the problem. Um, so like if we really make the problem real. And the lack of meaning and purpose, I think, is the true problem. And that's a problem that will exist for the rest of time, which is why people in the self-help niche will always have a job, right? Um, the particular problem of current self-help propaganda, I think we need to make sure we really get people to feel like that's an issue. Uh, because a lot of the people in your talk, they might not know, like, like Simon Sinek is not Justin Bieber. Right, a lot of people don't know who right. these people are. Yeah, like, I was thinking of that as well. That you're talking about, um, so it, it it even makes sense to just specifically highlight the 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 context of of the solutions they provide, but the contradictions that those solutions create that people can relate to, uh, versus like the specific names or authors that you think people are going to attach themselves right. to. Right, so that that's why at first. I just did it like where I said this podcast host said one thing and exactly podcast host said the next. Exactly. That's why I didn't go specific. Yeah. But I see the importance of specificity as well. Yeah. Because this is a story. And right. Sto with stories, you want to get more specific. Right. So, I you know I was wavering between that. So I think the thing is I think I think yeah I, so if we say this podcast host I think we can get specific not on the name of the author right. um, but on the scenario. So this podcast host said blah, 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 blah. And, and then this one said blah, 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 blah. And then the story about implementing right. both those yeah. two things versus saying David Goggins and Tim Ferriss. Right, Ferris. and it could be, you know, just like you said, to make it more conversational and fun, it's just like Jerry listened to a podcast episode on Wednesday and Absolutely. the host was, had a guest on and he was agreeing with everything the guest said about the power of habits. Yep. On Thursday, Jerry listened to another episode. He had a guest on. And all of a sudden, the guest was talking about how they live very freely and they're very spiritual. And the guest and the host again was agreeing with everything that. Right. Right. So now, so now, so now, Jerry was like, "What the fuck do I do?" Like, yeah, say something exactly, funny like that. Exactly. Yeah, and I think that could create a humorous scenario yeah. as well. Yeah. 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 Okay. I, yeah, I think the problem needs to be funny, mm -hmm. right? Because this is a this is an age-old problem of someone who doesn't know what the fuck they want to do with their life. They they're at the age where society arbitrarily tells them they should know what they want to do with their life. So the conversational tone of just like, Jerry listened to a podcast on Wednesday and then Thursday and there was this contradiction and then on Friday, Jerry didn't know what the fuck he was going to do. Right. I think that... Um, yeah, that would be good. That, that can create some humor. On Wednesday, he knew this. Thursday, he knew this. Friday, on Wednesday, he knew one thing. On Thursday, he knew one thing. On Friday, he knew nothing. Yeah, that's good. Let's try that. Yeah. 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 Because, I mean, like, journey, not destination is something that is, it's, it's, it's old, people know about it, like, right. it, I mean, every self-help author, like, at least that I know would encourage right. that. Yeah, I guess here we would, again, just be more specific and say, and this is where we would talk about, like, the, the three ghosts that haunted uh, Stooge right. in The Christmas Carol that showed the journey and not the destination, mm -hmm. um, which would highlight what the journey destination means. Um, the emotional investment connection stuff, I really like this. Again, I would just attach like what a, a particular example here. Because when you say the reader gets to feel the advice and not just be told the advice, it gets to resonate with the characters, this is the perfect place to talk about how you resonated with a character in like The Alchemist or something. Yeah. Um, reducing the stress, I think, was also really good. This is something I didn't think of. Um, so basically, like... Yeah, you're still adding to the problem here. Now, I don't think Tim Ferriss says if you don't follow this advice, you're not going to succeed. But nonetheless, it's sort of marketed as like, this is the go-to strategy towards a successful life. Right. If you don't follow it, you don't succeed. Whereas stories are, they have nothing to do about advice. Right. They have everything to do about a creative, figurative uh, landscape of, 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 of imagination that can be yeah. dissected in some capacity. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. No, and there, you don't think there's any way to incorporate both? You think it's too much to go from here are the four components of why storytelling is better, and here is here is the fourth component, which is imaginativitation. I'm going to teach you something else now. So put on your learning hat because you got to remember another made-up word, right? You have to yeah. basically what we're saying. You have to remember an acronym. You have to remember a made-up word. Yeah. 
do you think that's too much to digest in a 10 minute speech? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I do. I, now, I think, I think if, if, if we can combine imaginativitation into like, I don't know, because it sounds like you're like lecturing me on these four things, mm. which, which isn't cool. Um, or at least for multiple of the audience. Now, some people might not give a fuck, right? But I think if you're trying to get mass appeal and trying to get viral on especially, TED. 100% with you, and it's especially true because lecturing is the opposite of what I'm promoting. I'm promoting storytelling. Right. So I don't... I wanted to have something in there where it breaks from the story and provides teaching because... People learn in different ways, so I wanted to have both. Right. But I feel like I need to choose one. I think choose Jerry because imagination, creativity, interpretation, implementation—it's not original. Uh -huh. Like it—it it is the framework of imagination is super original for you. Mm -hmm. But I mean, that's—I mean, a lot of life coaches, self-help people—that's of course what they teach. You have to imagine, you have to create, you have to understand it for yourself, mm -hmm. and then implement your goals. Mm -hmm. I, I just don't think that's meaningful enough for people for people to hold on to. But this Jerry shit about. Um, because Jerry, again, Jerry is not your winner. Your winner is the fact that you are trying to mainstream and revolutionize self-help as an industry into turning into um, fictional narratives yeah. that have underlying philosophical themes behind them. Right. Which means Jerry wins you the debate, essentially, um, because of what Jerry represents, not even because of the acronym, right? right? I'm trying to think of some acronyms that were really popular in TED Talks that... Like, God's, like, like even Simon said, like, first why, then trust. I think that, right. that launched his whole... Yeah, yeah, that, that thing. Um, there was no real acronym around it. He had little constructs created around what those three circle means. Right. But the foundational element of, of the, the theme of those things really expanded the idea of what he was talking about yeah. versus the acronyms or symbols themselves. Mm -hmm. I think Big Jerry, because that's, that's, that's what your whole point is about. Yeah, and that's the big reveal at the end. Yeah. Obviously. And that end. So, uh, okay, let me talk this out. Yeah. I'm trying to show why self-help doesn't help, right? Yes. And I'm trying to say that self-help doesn't help because people are going to tell us a million different things, and it's not until we decide for ourselves what we need to fix yes. that we're going to make these long-lasting improvements. Yes. So that's the answer to the question. And then the follow-up question is going to be, why? Why is it so that we use stories to make these long-lasting improvements? And the answer to that is Jerry. Now, what would the answer, like I'll play Jeopardy. What would the answer to the question of, of imaginativitation be? Well, imaginativitation is honestly more of like, my process as mm -hmm. somebody who's teaching. Right. Which isn't really an answer. Yeah, which is an answer to anything the TED Talk is trying right. to get at. Imaginative, okay. It's not answering the problem in the speech. So it's a, so, okay. Which is well, self-help is bullshit. Exactly. So, so basically to like reaffirm for myself, imaginativitation can still be a tool that I use in coaching, absolutely, coaching, absolutely. But it's not the main. It's not what you're gonna get famous the on. Main framework here. Yeah, because it's not original enough either. Mm -hmm. Like, it, like obviously, it's, like, as a coaching strategy, it's super useful and original to you. Mm -hmm. But if you go to a corporation and say you use imaginativitation, like, right. I don't think there's truly that much. But if you use the power of storytelling through fictional narratives that have underlying philosophical themes, I think that's just way more original yeah. to get you into the door or to just get you through mainstream consciousness. Yeah. One thing you have to think about is, uh, I think people will say that this has already existed, Jerry, like since the beginning of time, yeah. which is stories that have always had lessons in them, right? Which is, so people- I totally agree with that, though. Uh, exactly, now people are gonna come at you by saying, because stories have existed that have always had lessons since the beginning of time, your shit is not new, I don't know what you're saying. The, the way I think you get out of that is identifying the problem. Mm. Like, the problem is, yes, stories have existed since the beginning of time, like the, the Bible, right? Yeah. fictional stuff but like t or maybe not fictional Adam and Eve maybe Still fictional story. not yeah, story nonetheless literature nonetheless with, with really crucial life lessons um, but we have hyper developed ourselves into an age where self help and, and is, is, so, is such a cultural propagandic scheme that to be honest is, is, is a money driven industry more than it is a purpose driven industry yeah. which 
fuels a or necessitates a bringing back of what has got us as, as of what has got us to find purpose and meaning originally thousands of years ago when we didn't have uh, Simon Sinek, right? Um, and that would be stories or parables that teach lessons uh, that 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 people that people don't have to that people have to interpret for themselves. Which means I think we should even add more depths to the problem, right? I think we can maybe talk about how like social media has 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 shown everyone's highlight reel and everyone's best versions of themselves, which has led to people feeling like they need to have more um, development in their self. Or you can talk about overarching on a macro level the lack of purpose that exists in society. Like a thousand years ago, your purpose was to like wake up, go to the church, do this, do this, do that. Everybody was super structured. But with the advance of technology, like people want to be a fucking blogger, their purpose fundamentally changes. They don't have to go to church. They don't have to eat, right? Like, like everything's so in flux. There's so much more individuality. And that calls for a, a gap in the human condition, which is what is my purpose. And the self-help industry is filling that gap by providing the, the, the BS stuff that you're saying that they're providing, right. which isn't fundamentally going to help anybody. And I think the, the passion and energy in the speech needs to be big on self-help is not going to solve the world's or people's problem. Like these books are not promising what they promise. They're, they're, they're offering solutions that are so fundamentally, not even bad, but so fundamentally top-down lecture to in, 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 in steps that, that they think people can can take away something from versus given in a way that allows the reader to find meaning in for themselves. Yeah. Now the question, and I, obviously you've, you've already said this, the question is how can we add more elements to that problem to really make it stick? Right. Because again, I think that's where you win, right? Like even Jerry is, it, as an as a, as a acronym is not the most unique thing, but again, the idea behind it is what is unique in this moment in time because of the advance of self-help which means you basically understand the psychology of your talk. Your talk wouldn't work if self-help wasn't the propaganda that it is today. Like if we didn't have all these mainstream people making these books about all these big things, um, your talk wouldn't be needed because like it wouldn't be that big of an industry. But it is a problem in this current day and age. Right. And you've hi highlighted that problem and that problem stems from your personal experience which most people will relate to. Because even I've gone on that journey where I read a bunch of books and I'm like, okay, this one says something different. It's right, like, what does right. that mean? How do I decide? Right. Yeah, I think the main takeaways from this... Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, so main things to really... Uh, what's the word? The main things to like really iron out are... Hype, like basically like enhancing the severity of the problem. Yes, Okay. absolutely. Because as of now, in this era, the problem is just conflicting viewpoints. Versus the problem of the industry itself. Basically, and I think, yeah, and I think we should get some statistics, right? Of like, I hate statistics. you don't like statistics? No. The only statistic I was going to say is like how many books are sold per year and how many people are still unhappy. Like something like right. that. Or like, how, like how much of Amazon's book revenue is self-help, that category, mm -hmm. and how much, like if 3 million books, per, 3 million people bought Mark Manson's How to Not Give a Fuck, right? right. They advertise that a lot. Yeah. How many of those people still give a fuck? Right? I think like little, and then you take a pause, right? And moments like that, three million people bought Start With Why. How many people still don't know their why? Right? right? It's, like, it's like, it seems like if I take a math course on algebra, I know how to do algebra now. Like I've got my transactional relationship from that. If I read a self-help book that is promising, right? Like in the undertext of the thing, it says like transform your life, whatever. It's promising even if it's implicit, this idea that things will change. Now, obviously, it's up to the consumer. It's up to the individual. But we can't act like these books aren't pulling off a marketing scheme where they're promising one thing and, and it's not delivering on the result. And that is, a problem with the, the, that, that is a problem with two things. That is a problem with the industry giving so much advice that people get confuzzled. And second of all, the, 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 the methodology of giving the self-help, which is the exact thing you're criticizing, which is... Um, not using fictional narratives. And it makes sense because if the rest of your career, like if you want to keep creating fictional narratives that all have oh, different lessons in them, yeah, and it gives you, and again, the individual collective thing is so important because you get to stand out from people, right. which is scary, but you get to be like, fuck yeah. all of you that are reading self-help exactly. books. And that actually gives the chance for, for the talk to be viral. Right. 
Right. Like that legitimately gives it the chance. Because like the Ted. I'm the, going to have to basically like. I'm so safe usually. I want everybody to agree with me, but yeah. this is going to split. The it's time. Audience, it's right? time. Yeah. This is like okay. There's going to be people who never want to read what I have to say again. Right. Because they're like, I don't want stories. I don't I want, want you to give me facts and figures. I want research studies and mm -hmm. I want interviews yep. to show me that this is what happens and then I'm going to go do that in my life. Right. But there's a whole other side of people who are going to say, I don't ever want to be told what to do. I want to use a story to enhance my life's perspective. Right. Because it's more fun. It's more entertaining. And even if I don't need self-help, right? Right. Here's another audience. Even if I don't need self-help, I want a story that makes me fucking feel good. Yes. Right? So here's a story. Like, the journey to Cloud9, I guarantee you, you're going to feel good after you read it. Right. Right? That's, you know, it's almost appealing to, like, this talk could not only be about what happens when you're stuck in the self-help rabbit hole, yeah. but it could also be about how do you get people to read self-help when they don't want anything to do with self-help. With self-help. Because that's actually, and I, let me hear I, your perspective, like, a reason why I wrote this second book the way that I did is because some of my best boys, right, like they didn't read my first book. Right. Because they're like, we support you, we'll buy a book, but I'm not going to read what you have to say because you live your life, I live my life, I just don't read self-help. Right. So there's a taboo against self-help. Yes. So I wanted to create self-help where I'm still saying like, hey guys, like think about your life and the way that you live it, but I didn't want to tell them how they should live their because life. Because no one likes being fucking told what to do, right? Yeah. Right. No, I think that's real. And and the journey to Cloud Nine, it's all fictional, right? In in the in the story. Yeah. I think that's the thing, and I think that's where you're actually carving out an identity for Jordan Gross, right? That's how you say it, right? Jordan Gross. Like that's like the rest of self help is gross except Jordan Gross because like we come to this larger perspective on how we think about telling people things. Now again, the market for self help will always need to be here because people will always have a lack of meaning and purpose. And I think if you position yourself as the enemy of self-help books, you're gonna, you're gonna have a chance to win, right?